Hello, and welcome to the OMR Podcast International. I'm your host, Scott Peterson, International Content Editor at OMR, the home of the OMR Festival. Today, we are talking about the future, the future of our cities, that is, with Dance Mobility co-founder and CEO Eric Kinadus Walforce. What is Dance? It's a Berlin-based mobility startup offering its users e-bikes and scooters on a subscription basis to have and to hold as their own. With fleets located in Hamburg, Berlin, Munich, Vienna, and its largest market, Paris, we talked about the challenges of overcoming the soddy reputation of e-bikes and how Dance succeeded in selling those clunky contraptions, most commonly associated with unathletic retiree types, to those hipster chic peoples in Europe's major metropolitan areas. We talked about the business model, the community, the value of high-profile investors, and Eric's vision of the city of tomorrow and why he's confident that cities will continue to move away from cars and incorporate new forms of mobility. But please, if you will, before we start, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already and tell a friend if you like what you hear. All right, Omar Podcast. Let's go. Eric, how are you doing? Welcome to the Omar Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. My pleasure. So to uh, our audience out there, our listeners out there, um, Dance uh, is a micro-mobility startup based in Berlin, but active in Berlin, Hamburg, Munich, Vienna, and Paris that offers e-bike and moped subscriptions to customers and businesses, direct subs to individual end users, and as perks to employees of participating companies in Dance's B2B offering, including German gym chain Urban Sports Club and Google, um, founded in 2020. I'm just curious, um, how did you and your co-founders kind of settle on e-bikes and uh, specifically in, in mobility in general? Yeah, I mean, this goes back to my sabbatical, let's say. So I stepped down from my previous company after 12 years. This was beginning of 2019. And I took uh, the better part of 2019 to just go deep on essentially climate tech, climate impact topics. So I were, you know, explored a number of ideas and ended up investing in a few companies just as a as an angel investor. But really, I went deep on exploring and turning, you know, different stones, meeting lots of different people. Long story short, at, at some point there towards the end of the year, I came upon this idea of building a, a subscription service for an e-bike. And this was the beginning of it. And through that idea, I met my co-founder, Christian. The two of us really hit it off. And then, you know, it turned out that he had a bunch of the same ideas and that's why we got connected. And, uh, and then I pulled in my actually other co-founder, Alex, uh, you know, and, and uh, the three of us went deep on this topic. And, and that's how the idea came, came to be. We just got, you know, more and more excited and got more and more conviction about the space uh, as we went uh, deeper into it. Wasn't it uh, kind of a, a crowded space at the time because i mean it was around that time um when like you know a lot of like the e-scooters and stuff and like this whole kind of paradigm shift to or like a rethink of mobility started like really becoming very visible in the cities at least in europe um so was there something about it that you saw that um that just made you really bullish totally i mean i've been a fan of the space i would say since since years already i mean i've i've never owned a car and i was using you know one of those electric longboards for like probably over two years to get to my office. I've always owned a bike. I was an early adopter of those, you know, kick scooters when they first started appearing, you know, 20, 2018. Um, and one of the observations that I had made was that shared mobility sort of capped out 
when you stand, you know, on a street corner in, for example, Berlin or Paris, five plus years into this, you know, revolution around sharing, there are only about maybe 10%, 15% of the rides that are actually happening through these shared vehicles. Most people, you know, end up using their own their own vehicle for cost and convenience reasons. And I think, Autonomy. you know, the, yeah, the, the shared uh, models are great. I mean, I love those uh, those scooters, especially when you you know you come to as a tourist to a new city, or you need to do you know the occasional sort of one-off trip. Those things are great. But if you're commuting, or if you kind of really need something to be able to get around the city quickly, then it turns out that there's this relatively kind of new phenomenon called an e-bike, which is just taking the world by you know storm. Right? It's just an insane trajectory that e-bikes are on. In general, and it's essentially revolutionizing the whole category of the bicycle, right? Um, and and people are waking up, you know, in the millions to this. Um, also in the in the urban setting, really, uh, we're seeing e-bikes just every year. There's just a higher, higher share of e-bikes. Um, so that's sort of like the, the the background context of why we thought it could be interesting to do this. There's an additional thing there, which is that e-bikes are just painful to own because they do need regular maintenance, uh, you know, repairs, and they do get stolen. I mean, bikes get get stolen, uh, e-bikes as well. And um, both of those experiences around, you know, repair and theft were, were always painful, you know, like as, as a, someone who's owned a bike since for as long as I can remember, every time I had to go and repair it, it was painful. With e-bikes, it's like 10 times more painful because the spare parts, you know, take weeks to order, a lot of the kind of corner shops for you know bike repair um, are not very good at repairing e-bikes. They kind of don't know how to deal with complex electric vehicles, and so mm-hmm. it just made sense to offer something of a kind of a third route between fully shared and fully you know your own. And so that that's that's how this idea was born. And you know, yeah. Okay, sure. And so that was like 2020 um, when you when it was founded. Um, did you also go live, uh, launch to market that year? So what happened was that we met at the end of 2019, and then we ideated and went deep on the space. And then in February of 2020, we decided, okay, let's go for it. And just a few days later, the pandemic hit full force, right? So that was, you know, a big sort of uh, what's happening now moment. Uh, but of course, that turned into the biggest uh, bike boom that the world has ever seen, like ever. Um, so so that was, you know, a huge moment for for the bike. Um, we started the company that year. We sort of announced our plans that, that summer. We actually ended up running a big pilot with hundreds of live customers uh, for, for almost nine months, I think, in the end, um, in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up, you know, designing the service, designing the vehicle um, and everything else around it um, and launched about 18 months ago in these five cities. Okay. Um, so you kind of touched on it there, but um, so how, um, so you went through all these like different uh, iterations, uh, I'm assuming like from like the time when you had like your beta phase in, in Berlin, the the test phase. Um, how did it, like the the kind of like the original concept of of dance um, as as it was kind of coming about and evolving, how does that compare to what it is now? I mean, light years, are we still similar at its core? Kind of tell me how much uh, dance has changed. Yeah. The idea is a, is a really simple idea, right? It's a it's friction free access to a great e bike that always works, that's always there for you, um, and you know that's behind the scenes. It's a highly tech enabled company. You know the bike is connected, 
uh, you know, there's there's sort of tracking in there, connectivity uh, in there, and, and a bunch of technology. And that's what's exciting about e-bikes is that you know they're all of a sudden very advanced vehicles. So we are a large fleet operator. In the meantime, we operate over ten thousand. We have t- over ten thousand live customers, paying customers. Uh, Paris is currently our, our biggest city, and we've learned a ton. I mean, we you know understanding who is our customer. Through that pilot in 2020, we obviously understood that most of the bikes out there, I mean, we we didn't find a single bike that we could just use off the shelf because there were very specific requirements around this model, both in terms of our ambition of, you know, let's, you know, let's create just an amazing e-bike that's easy to use, uh, you know, for anyone and easy to onboard to, but that's also durable, um, that is serviceable. And that has all of these great technologies from specifically from sharing, from the sharing world, incorporated into a vehicle that looks like a vehicle that you own. And it turned out there was nothing like that on the market. And, and so when we really thought about sort of first principles, like what is this, we ended up designing you know, all, everything from scratch. And it's, it's the machine itself, but it's also the machine that services the machine, right? And that means, you know, orchestration of... Uh, mechanics and logistics personnel and having a footprint in every city and having you know ways to delivering the bikes and getting to the customers very quickly and doing that in a highly efficient way so there's a lot there's a lot happening there in the background um, to provide the level of service that we are able to do all right um I want to look back real quick just and talk about you specifically um uh, especially your background um uh you'd mentioned before that um the the idea uh for dance kind of came about as you'd taken a sabbatical from the last company that you were working at where you'd spent twelve years and that was a company named soundcloud which um is the way I'd like to put it um is a, a, a Spotify for mixtapes and demo tapes kind of just for like people in, like on your underground scene a music platform um I'm sure you would have a much more uh, uh, nuanced uh, definition of that. But as uh, somebody in the U.S., like growing up at the time, that's like primarily how I used it. Um, and I'm just kind of like curious because like you're making a leap uh, from, because uh, before SoundCloud, you're also a DJ. And so like going from a DJ to an entrepreneur, um, that kind of makes sense. Um, but then going from SoundCloud and going from like the space of music to mobility, that seems like more of a jump, at least to me in my eyes. So I'm wondering if you could just kind of like share with me a little bit about like that, that, that kind of that jump and like what those kind of two spaces maybe have in common um, looking back. Sure. Yeah. I mean, my story in a nutshell is I grew up in Stockholm, um, Sweden, you know, b- born and raised and uh, um, started building small internet you know, websites in the mid nineties at the same time I was doing music, right? So I was really creating and producing music. Um, and then, you know, that continued and I ended up building more like platforms, um, had a little crowdfunding network in the early two thousands, then, then started engineering and then through music sort of met my co-founder Alex, but really he was also studying, um, something similar to, to me and the two of us, you know, met up and, and ended up spending a bunch of months in in uh, Silicon Valley in San Francisco writing our thesis at the time. When we came back in 2007, we were very much set on building something big on the internet. And actually, we were at the time we were exploring quite broadly. We had lots of different ideas, but we came back to music because we felt like we both had a huge amount of sort of depth and experience, and, and we were feeling the pain around music. Um, and so we created a tool um, for us as creators. 
that made it easy for us to share music on the internet. That's essentially how how SoundCloud started. We moved to Berlin to do that, um, and uh, and how I how I would describe SoundCloud uh, still today is very much an artist powered streaming service. So it's a place for artists and their fans to really connect. And and on the fan side, we attract people who really care about music, who kind of go create digging and go very deep. Um, and and uh, and so it's a you know it's a very large platform in the meantime, hundreds of millions of listeners, you know, tens of millions of creators. Um, uh, and it's a uh, it's been it was it was an amazing journey um after 12 years of that for me i um uh, i felt like i was done with music right for at least for the time being you know that that was a very intense journey roller coaster sort of startup experience and uh um it was time for me to you know step down and and, and look at what could be next so i looked at a climate i looked at climate tech um and uh and i really tried to zoom out but then my lens that I applied was a lot about, you know, who am I as a founder, as an entrepreneur, which are topics that I am, you know, that I have almost like an unfair advantage in, um, and, and you know, who am I? So um, then, you know, ended up really feeling like I want to build something that people actually use, you know, something that's out there in the world, uh, some something that has, you know, a brand, so, so you know, brand building aspect to it. And... Um, uh, where I could leverage skills that I have, which of course is you know building companies first and foremost. That's a you know arguably the biggest skill that you know that you get by building a company that's growing sure. growing fast. Uh, but then also things like subscriptions, uh, where you know applying all of the learnings we had at SoundCloud, where you know we had millions of paying subscribers. Ultimately, by the time I left, um, to a different space, you know, just the, there have been multiple categories that have been transforming through subscription and what if we could apply that to bikes right so that was kind of the the inception and the the, the you know the uh embryo. the common denominator also between the two businesses totally totally so there are actually a lot of commonalities there's also this idea here that we want to build a movement and and there is a sort of a commu- community aspect of what what we do here um, there's actually a lot of our growth is coming from people uh, just loving the product and sharing it with others. So um, our app is, you know, one of our primary growth uh, drivers currently. So there are a bunch of those skills that, you know, learnings from SoundCloud that we apply in this different context. Um, and okay. With, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just wanted to like uh, kind of follow up quickly because uh, you mentioned that um, your um, your audience and stuff, they're, they're like, they, they really love the product. Um, and I was thinking about, e-bikes in the context of like reputation and the way like they're like perceived at least uh were up until recently um and it was kind of like this this object that was kind of clunky and kind of for for happy pensioners or for people that are not really conscious about image and the the one kind of um uh comparison that i came back to was kind of like sweatpants like for a while like they were not seen as very cool but then you know, some really clever marketing campaigns, Kardashians now, like Hawkins sweatpants and e-bikes now, thanks in large part to to dance are like, you know, you can see them like being driven around by like cool hipsters in Kreuzberg. And I'm just curious, like, how did you kind of like um, go about re reinventing the image of e-bikes? Was it was it a challenge for you or did you find like an audience that was like immediately open um, to 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 e-bikes? Yeah. 
No, it's a really good question, right? And I think that's a that's an odd thing that's happened with e-bikes, just like you said. It used to be sort of like for for old people in the you know small small towns or, or villages, even like rural rural areas, right? Yeah, you go to wine country and you get an e-bike. Exactly, yeah. um, and they have this history of be- looking like you know uh, regular bikes with some sort of heavy battery tacked onto it and a heavy motor. With, with very little consideration for sort of the aesthetic appeal or the overall like sort of um, uh, coherence of the vehicle, let's say. Um, so, it is, so I think that that is really a, an odd history and somewhat unusual, right? Because usually early adopters are, you know, like you said, kind of the hipsters, young people in, in the urban areas. Um, but the thing is that e-bikes as a, you know, just... Uh, as a kind of consumer product is just amazingly powerful because you get on it and you have this aha experience and then it's very hard to go back. Once you've been on an e-bike once, it's very hard to go back. So it has this sort of incredible appeal. And then we had the challenge, exactly like you said, to build more of a lifestyle brand to make it cool. Um, And that has everything to do with design and brand and you know, the product experience around it. Um, and so that's what we've put a lot of focus and emphasis on. There's a lot of kind of an educational, I would say, effort as well around not only can you, you know, own an, a bike, you can you can also share it, which, you know, we've been, uh, you know, learning um, as, as a society over the last five years, but now you can also subscribe to one. And I think this is the, it's going to be a massively, you know, important pillar of this, I'm pretty sure. But uh, it's an educational effort to get you know people um, to really understand that or grasp that idea, um, and I think you know the timing is is right as you said you know even four years ago there has been a pretty significant change in terms of uptake and understanding and just you know acceptance of e bikes are basically the new bike and they're going to take over everything and um, yeah but I mean there's there's a lot of trends right and and technology enables ba- batteries used to be very expensive. Um, the technology has has refined a lot over the last decade, and so it feels like now is sort of the time to to really go big with something like this. Was there a turning point or kind of a watershed moment or a campaign or a partnership where you kind of saw the tide turning, where you noticed that the acceptance uh, among your target group was was there and was growing? Well, I think... Probably the moment that we were the most proud of so far was when Apple called us up in the, you know, out of the blue and just said, you know, hey, we've seen what you're doing. We would love to feature you front and center, you know, towards all of our developers and, mm-hmm. you know, showcase how you're using Apple products to power your, you know, warehouses and customer experiences and everything. Um, so actually, you know, Susan, who is um, was up on stage actually at the latest Apple keynote came to Berlin and did like a fireside chat with me. They sent a whole team of like 30 people, I kid you not, to our you know offices and a whole production team and made this very nice high production value um, kind of mini documentary about uh, dance. Uh, so, that, so that was certainly for me being, you know, basically an Apple fanboy since like, you know, the mid 90s um, or even, you know, early 90s. Um, Back when uh, Macintosh. Yeah, exactly. And Steve and all of that stuff, um, uh, you know, was just amazing uh, to, to, to get that sort of recognition from them. So <clears throat> that was certainly a, a big moment for us. Um, other than that, we've struck a number of you know, interesting partnerships uh, we had, you know, not long ago, Miles uh, that we partnered with, which I think makes a lot of sense because they are, you know, 
their customers are all the people who don't own a car, right? Um, and so for them to have, you know, dance as their main way to get around and then occasionally use their car sharing to complement, you know, whenever needed uh, makes total sense. So these are the sort of uh, partnerships we're trying to um, to get to 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 reach a larger larger audience and find our customers. Is there not any customers. kind of um sorry to cut you off. I'm just curious like as you said like Miles which is this car sharing company um is there not a little bit of like uh weariness uh weariness or reluctance to like partner with them uh, because they seem like they would be competitors at least ostensibly like you're mm, basically mm. competing for mobility uh customers. Yeah. Well the thing is that a lot of the car sharing trips are, you know, are one-off trips, right? They're sort of like, okay, we, we want to get, you know, get out on the weekend, maybe with the family or maybe go a longer distance. Um, you know, I, and, and I maybe won't use car sharing every day all the time, right? Um, but it's more for these occasional trips. And, and so I think in, in that sense, it's a lot of the same customer that we are, that we're talking about. And they're, they're really on the same mission because they're, they're trying to reduce the amount of car ownership uh, in cities. And I think, you know, that's obviously the, the big, the big vision for us is more livable cities. You know, it's just cities where you have less of a dependency on a car, less car ownership, uh, less cars in the city. All right. Well, um, then let's talk a little bit about that. So like, what is kind of like, that um like what would have to happen for to take place for that to actually happen for that like that massive paradigm shift like the this kind of revamping of our of our cities yeah well i mean i think so i went to amsterdam before i started dance as well and and uh you know really immersed in the city for a couple of days um i i later you know came back to copenhagen and i you know remember copenhagen uh uh since you know kind of early 90s because I'm, I'm from Sweden. My, you know, we used to spend summers in the south of Sweden. We had friends in Copenhagen. So I used to come there every summer and it used to be a car dominated city, right? So Copenhagen has turned from the 90s into today. It's become a fully bike driven, you know, city. And it's basically more than the, the mode share. So the amount of trips happening by bike is over 50%, I think even over 60%. So they have a huge amount of uh, trips done by by bikes, and that was a you know a shift that happened you know over the last 20, 25 years. Um, it's the same with Amsterdam. Amsterdam used to be a car dominated city in the seventies, and then there was a very conscious you know effort, and there was the political will to turn it into more of a livable city, more of a city for for people. Um, and today, it's a city where like you walk around there, and it's so quiet. You hear basically the birds you know, singing and, and all of that, and you hear the waters, and it's just lovely, right? You, it's just incredible, really. Um, so so our vision of the future is already here. It's just not distributed, you know, widely uh, dissipated yet, right? Um, mm -hmm. What's interesting is that we can witness, if you go to Paris today, you can witness this transformation happening right now um, in a very large city, um, and it's incredible, right? I was there... 2017, and then you know our our new investors or Zio, um, uh, the big French investor, they ended up leading uh, our Series A top up round um, in, back in 21, and I came there uh, and presented to uh, to them there, and I was blown away. I mean, there was just enormous amount of bikes on the streets, enormous amount of infrastructure that's been built in a short period of time, and that has continued, and we see you know now 
for us, Paris is our biggest city. It's the fastest growing city. Um, we think we'll be tens of thousands of members in Paris easily. Um, so, so it's really um, um, a city that's that's transforming. So I think that's the 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 nice thing about this vision is that you can go out there, feel it, and 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 sort of understand how how to get there today. Um, and we have different levels of p- political will, you know, in the different <laughs> different countries, different cities, um, so different stages of this evolution. But personally, I'm sort of of the opinion that this is an inevitable trend, right? I don't think, you know, ultimately e-bikes are so good as a form factor, like they're truly sort of step change, right? So it's it's all of a sudden you have this vehicle that's way more compelling than a regular bike, can cannot be compared in the same way with a regular bike. So that combined with all the other benefits you get, health benefits, safety, noise, pollution, environment, yeah. environment you know, livability, right? Just quiet and, and you know, calm. Um, uh, we, we, it's sort of an, inf- you know, um, how do you say, number of, uh, number of driving forces that makes it very hard for us not to end up in that place with pretty much all the major cities. Um, so that that is you know that's our conviction that's what we're trying to accelerate with with dance. All right. Um let's talk about those cities um where you're active cuz right now um you're primarily active in the DAC region so Berlin, Hamburg, Munich and Vienna and then also uh Paris as you said. And those are the quote unquote only five markets where you're active in. Um walk me through the city selection process a little bit like why exactly those cities and why not some place like Amsterdam uh which you mentioned Copenhagen or uh or London for example? Sure. Yeah. No, it's a good question. When we launched a company, um, we put up a, a wait list and a sort of wish list. Um, and so we got a lot of, we in fact have tens of thousands of people on that wait list by now. And we, we do have a bunch of you know requests from obviously other cities uh, beyond the ones where we launched in. The, the cities we launched in all all ended up pretty high on that on that list. Um, I have I have to thank Orazio, our investor in, in Paris, for convincing us to launch in Paris in addition to you know the Dach, the Dach cities um, when when we launched because uh, we are now you know uh, yeah in, in Paris we're now growing incredibly fast and um, becoming one of the largest fleet operators in in Paris overall um, so um, with those cities I mean the company is based in Berlin I think Berlin has done has been leading on on mobility innovation, um, frankly, in Europe and the world. So it's a great place for that. Um, my co-founder Christian is based in Hamburg. He's commuting to to Berlin. Hamburg is also a great place for for biking. So it made sense to launch there as well. Um, and Munich is the third biggest city, you know, in in Germany, and is you know highly highly relevant. Our investor um, HV Capital. Are based in 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 Munich, and then our, uh, on Vienna, our our team had you know there were a bunch of people coming from shared micro mobility, and so they had seen the numbers and the kind of traction you know different cities had, and they thought Vienna was uh, a really interesting place to to launch because Vienna are, is sort of on a similar trajectory. So so this that was sort of the the selection process. I think generally what we look at are adoption of you know of of uh, micromobility, bikes, uh, the quality of public transit, um, the um, willingness to pay, I mean, basically a propensity to pay for things like this. Um, and uh, yeah, number of other measures, but those are some of the critical ones we're looking at. 
Okay. And and just uh, one quick follow up, like with uh, London or Amsterdam, was there something that you can like, like re- that you recall that made it uh, uh, that the that just created the the decision, a conscious decision to go against launching those markets? Yeah. At least Amsterdam, like that was one of the first cities I visited in Europe, and I was just blown away by the bikes. I got ran over by a couple, so I learned that bike paths are not anywhere for of a place for pedestrians. Um, you learn that very quick. Um, so it just seems like those would be just like um, totally uh, natural fit. Yeah, yeah. London is certainly up there for us. London is a beast, right? It's a very large city. It's the UK, so it's not the EU. So you need, you know, you need to be prepared and, and to be able to really do that um, and do it well. And I would absolutely love for dance to be both in London and Amsterdam. It's more a question of timing and sort of in what order do we do things. Um, I think for us, it's very important to really continue proving out the model, getting to, you know, critical scale. Um, Paris is, you know, for us, the, the the leading example of this, where in the meantime, we're doing pretty cool things. Like we have this partnership with a company called Yes Park. So we, when people go and pick up their vehicles now, they actually open the garage doors with the app to get access to the to a dedicated parking spot. And then you scan with the QR code, you kind of do video onboarding. So there's a bunch of stuff that we are innovating just around how we actually get bikes to people and um and and so we're refining and sort of honing in on that um formula before we take it now to to other cities but i mean no doubt we want to be in in a lot of the cities Um, okay and what about beyond europe Uh, are you just primarily focused on uh on europe or the eu in particular at the moment um or do you envision dance at some point in the future rolling out um uh beyond uh, the european border yeah, I mean, I I would love that uh, eventually. I think, you know, with, with SoundCloud, the U.S. was by far our biggest market. So I spent a lot of time in New York, in, in L.A. and San Francisco primarily. Um, and those are all, you know, especially New York now in recent years, have really seen a massive upswing in biking. They're putting more and more bike infrastructure in place. So I do think those are, there are some interesting markets uh, abroad. Uh, but like first and foremost, now we're focused on Europe and we think, you know, there's so much opportunity here over the next few years that uh, we think also Europe has really this opportunity to lead in this transformation. Sure. Uh, well, then let's talk about, um, let's talk about some of the, no worries. Let's talk about some of the differences, um, the specificities to each of each of the challenges to each of those markets. Because I mean, you think uh, at least for me personally, personally, anecdotally, the Berlin crowd is a little bit more hipster in Paris, a little bit more chic, um, and both are kind of image conscious, environmentally conscious. But it doesn't really seem like a lot of overlap, at least like the external. Um, but I'm just like curious: was did you have to alter? the positioning of dance at all between the markets or like some of the, were there other like specific challenges that you had to overcome? I would say that um, we've definitely iterated on our playbook, you know, go to market playbook, right, for the different cities. Um, We did all of the city rollouts in fairly quick succession. So uh, there was, you know, limited time to kind of go and try completely different things. But like every every week we try new things, right? So there's a ton of blocking and tackling involved and, you know, bigger moves and smaller moves, right? Um, I think generally as a, like, as a team, we're basically a crack subscription marketing and, and growth team. So we know know a lot about that and, and, and we go deep on those topics. So um, everything, you know, performance marketing related and sort of uh, CRM and, 
all of those things uh, we are we're quite good at and and you know testing many things and iterating quickly pricing plans uh you know all of those sort of things um on the different markets i mean we we have tried to keep as coherent of a offering as possible across the markets that said we are in the meantime doing you know things that are tailored per market a little bit so when it comes to to you know pricing some of the offers we're doing some of the influencers we work with things like this they are they are you know localized per market some of the partnerships are are localized as well um but yeah we're trying to you know have a scalable model that we so that we can apply a similar playbook to you know new cities as well as we scale Sure. Now, um, you mentioned earlier a little bit about um, the uh, seeing like the community, uh, the con- consumer base as as a community primarily, um, and a lot of that has to go do with the app. Um, is there? Uh, is it just kind of like a? I want to say like a, a universal spirit on the app, like something that's uh, like just one hundred percent universal between the markets, because like you have four cities that are primarily German speaking, and then Paris, obviously French. Um, is that just like one kind of cohesive community, or is that also being kind of localized? Yeah, it's uh, currently it's you know again we tried to to make the the app and the software as universal as possible obviously things are in the local language um and the i mean the main thing that we think we're we're sort of tapping into here is there is a kind of groundswell sort of a movement towards more livable cities and we 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 want to tap into that and and accelerate that um and one of the ways that we're doing that now is through the the referral program which you know is is basically software enabled growth right is more the technical term you go you know sort of um uh yeah just have a lot of people referring others and growing the movement that way and we've been iterating on that and seen a lot of success with that and what's interesting with it is essentially it's a it's a new way to sell a bike right no one has really ever sold a bike in this way you know not on the scale um and so that's very very interesting that we're sort of finding new ways to get more bikes to people right sure and it's also interesting to me at least in my eyes like how you've kind of like um shifted the bike from a very very much a physical object which it still is but you've like completely given it a new digital side like you've incorporated with the app um there uh where you, it's uh, this impact is digitization that i've seen that's on on these bikes in in a space and on a product that hasn't really evolved in several decades um just curious like how do you see and view the impact of digitization on bikes uh specifically uh, on e-bikes yeah yeah i mean it's a revolution right because the electrification of the bike means all of a sudden you can do all of those cool things right you can connect it you can have a ton of data that gets collected you can learn from that data um and the way that we run this whole machine right we basically Every single incident, every single repair, uh, every single spare part, everything is on our, in our systems. Every single battery, we know exactly how many battery you know cycles battery has had, and we can you know do do all of the data science and the you know testing and inference from those from those data points, right? So it, it is it is like very different from someone being you know standing on a you know, having a corner shop selling a bike, right? Like that's uh, that is it is a totally new world, um, and um, yeah, so that that is all very exciting. 
but of course the the innovation the bike is still you know at the core it's sort of the same the same thing um same utility yeah same same utility it's just sort of 10x more um 10x better in terms of the user experience like being on it and then everything around it <laughs> could you uh, maybe um uh, enlighten a couple of, like use cases like where like uh, some of these digital like the data points are, are coming into play and being used so i'm just like wondering because sure. you said like you're able to like kind of track how many life cycles and charge cycles a battery has gone through do you then like take that information and kind of make suggestions to your users like hey it might be time to get your battery switched go get a repair things of that nature yeah we haven't we have like it's very early, right? We're eighteen months into our launch, and and uh, as you know, coming from SoundCloud, with SoundCloud, where we had a very data rich environment, we had you know hundreds of millions of customers, petabytes of data, you know, ran a ton of A/B tests, like all of this kind of fun stuff. Um, Dance is still much smaller scale, but we already at this point have tens of millions of kilometers of like ride data, right, from all of these different cities. Um, and we will absolutely use this data a lot in the future. We're already using a lot of the data around, you know, repair, touch points with customers. And we are, we're working currently on using machine learning also in like an, an AI essentially in our support, um, um, like the way we support customers and deal with, with any kind of customer requests. So to make that, um, you know, better than, you know, than has ever been experienced essentially in in the context of a bike. So, yeah, there are a number of number of things we're doing, but I think there's there's a lot more to come there. So, the the first step is really having the data and you know being able to actually look at it and then make decisions. Yeah. Well, there are some very uh, prominent believers in a dance, including uh, Will I Am, Maisie Williams, aka Arya Stark from Game of Thrones, Chance, Chance the Rapper, among many others. Um, how do you think their support have kind of um, helped give dance a boost um, or just overall like influence public perception and behavior regarding sustainability, urban living, and, and e-bikes for you? Yeah, yeah. So the approach we've taken to fundraising is strong institutional investors, so but very few. So keep, you know, our governance structure very simple, have just a few really solid venture capital investors. Um and and then alongside of that, um uh basically add a network of um or community, if you will, will of mission aligned investors. And there we've spent actually quite some time on that and it's all about building the movement right it ultimately it's about uh, our reach and uh, you know getting the word out there and having some ambassadors and people you know who can who can talk about uh, dance and and also use the product and give us feedback and things like that so um that that was sort of the approach with it we it, it, all of these people that you mentioned, they're purely financial investors. They're, we haven't done, you know, weird sort of sweat equity deals with any of them or anything like that. It's just, you know, they believe in the mission and the company and they came in as financial investors. And and that's the approach we've taken. Um, and um, it's been a lot of fun because, you know, by the time we launch London, I'm going to call up, you know, Maisie. Uh, and she is a, you know, she has like 15 million followers across social media or something like this. She's a climate activist. She loves her bike uh, and she can't wait for, you know, having dance in, in London, right? So these are the types of people who can help to to further the 
uh, you know, the, the, the mission and, you know, amplify it. Um, and, and we've done that. I mean, I recently met up with Tony Garn here in, in Berlin as well. She's been using our product since pretty much day one. In the meantime, she has a child seat, you know, her daughter um, is on the bike as well with, uh, with her. And you know, it's just great to have investors who care about the mission and, you know, want to help. So that is, that has been the, the, the principle behind it. Okay. Well, um, what about some of your other like growth channels? Um, I, I saw that you're on TikTok. Um, you also like run some influencer campaigns. I, where else do you kind of um, divert your marketing budgets? Yeah, I mean, generally, I think we're we're a startup, right? We're quite scrappy, quite lean, um, and I would say highly efficient in terms of how we have acquired customers. The vast majority of our customers are coming from purely organic word of mouth uh, and referral. So referral has become, as I mentioned, one of our most important channels. Aside from that, of course, we are we are good at, you know, performance marketing sort of topics and and we're doing, yeah, we're using the the channels that you would, you know, that you would know of. Um, a lot of it is Google and sort of direct intent and, and SEO and and these these sort of pieces. And then you have um, social where Instagram and and TikTok, TikTok lately, we've seen a lot of traction um, on there, and 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 so that's been that's been great. Um, yeah, I mean LinkedIn is kind of a actually still pretty relevant channel for us, um, and uh, because we do have a B two B offering as well, so there's there's quite some you know inbound interest coming through those uh, through those channels for basically companies wanting to offer this for their for their employees um so so linkedin is sort of increasingly relevant channel okay. as well all right well I, I know we're jumping around a little bit and i'm almost you're almost out of here you've almost made it through um i want to do uh circle back though real quick uh, and talk about some funding um because uh, last february uh dance raised uh, around about uh 12.8 million us um which uh if i'm not mistaken was primarily used to kind of strengthen your offerings in the markets in which you're active um, but um, what I really found striking or um, very noteworthy about that haul is that the current funding climate is quite frigid. Um, and I was just curious, like, what was your experience um, like that? Did you find it more difficult than usual to actually raise that capital? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough times out there, tough times in the world. I would say it's also somewhat tough times for our space, you know, micromobility and um you know, there was a massive bike boom in 2020, 21. And then by sort of second half of 22, things started normalizing somewhat. And this year, we're seeing, you know, that there's kind of softness. You know, we were also in this environment where the German economy is contracting year over year. You have a kind of high inflation environment. And, and so a lot of people are basically holding on to their wallets. So we're very excited that we've been growing significantly in that environment um and strengthen a lot of our numbers and and so um ultimately you know we have a lot of people keen to support the mission and who see the the potential uh, of it and and uh yes we were able to raise money but i mean it it it's a tough time out out there in general and and, and lots of startups struggling for sure do you uh, have any plans for another round of funding yeah i mean i i can't sort of comment on you know any specifics around around that but you know we're always talking to to investors and you know thinking about ways we can accelerate our growth let's say and so not not out of the question 
Fair enough. Well, all right. Well, then, uh, what would you say? Um, last question. I swear. Um, so, where where do you think you where do you see the near future? What does the near term hold for dance? Um, like you, you possibly a round of funding, possibly new markets that you will expand to. Um, where where are we going? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm excited about the growth we're seeing in in some of these larger cities, Berlin, but but first and foremost, Paris. Um, I think we we are becoming synonymous with subscription in Paris. Like we're really leading leading Paris as it's becoming one of the most important capitals for micromobility in the world. Um, and, you know, want to wanna double down on that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think we can accelerate uh, the growth there even more. And, and uh, for us, you know, as with many companies, you know, with similar models, it's about proving really that you know the model the model works at you know a certain scale and 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 once you have some of those proof points which you know we arguably have a lot of that already but it's still you know early innings once you have that you can take the model and scale it you know very very significantly across across the world and 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 that's pretty much what we're working on i mean we're we're one and a half years into having the sort of the live service on the streets and yeah, having lots of fun with it, I should All say right. as well. Well, dance mobility coming to a market near you very soon, hopefully. Uh, Eric Kinedos Volleforce, thank you very much for this fascinating topic on mobility. My pleasure. Likewise. Buzz. Ladies and gentlemen and everyone else out there beyond and in between, that's all we got for you today. Thank you to Eric from Dance for joining me and thanks to you, dear listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe. Hope to have you back next time. Until then, swim with a buddy.